Hello, I'm Bishop William Byrne, Bishop of the Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts, and I'm delighted to be taking part in this virtual Eucharistic Summit. As we begin the Eucharistic revival in this country, may each of these talks bring us closer together with our Lord in the Eucharist, who is the source and summit of our lives. Back in 1987, I was on a vacation trip, actually in France, with my family. We were traveling around and decided to do our own separate things for a few hours. And we set the, a little church as our meeting place because we knew it would be cool. It was a hot summer's day. And I remember strolling on into the church, sitting down, enjoying the cool and the dark, when suddenly I realized that the Eucharist was in the monstrance on the altar, that they were having adoration. And in that instance, I, I looked up and I felt as if the Lord was saying to me, I'm here, it's all real. It was like a, a baseball bat in the head. I was going to church most of the time, but it was in this moment where suddenly the Lord revealed himself to me. I guess in a sense that was a call, a call moment. I had been thinking about priesthood, but this really began to set me on the path that led me to my ordination. You see, no, if there's no priesthood, there's no Eucharist. Why? Jesus wanted us to remember that he is the great high priest. Any priest is not a priest of his own. I'm not a priest of William Byrne. I'm a priest of Jesus Christ. You see, it is he who offers himself eternally to the Father. He who gave himself on the cross and transformed all reality in the resurrection. The priest simply stands in the place of Jesus, acting in his person, or as we say, in persona Christi. In the Mass, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, becomes truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I'm saddened to think of all the people who have no idea what is taking place. They pass by churches every single day, in their heart, they're searching for meaning. And little do they know, little do they realize that the meaning they look for is found in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is waiting for them there. When I think of those people, it often makes me think of all the people who on Good Friday were watching the crucifixion of Jesus, not realizing that the most important event of all human history was taking place before their eyes. To them, it was just a gruesome spectacle to see the Romans putting down a minor revolutionary. Yet as they looked upon this with probably indifference or maybe disgust, the greatest revolution of all time had just begun. The greatest battle against evil, sin, and even death itself was being won right before their eyes. When Jesus gives us the Eucharist at the first Mass of the Last Supper, he is giving us the means of making present again this reality of the death and resurrection of our Savior. The Eucharist is a revolution. It is food for the revolution. It is self-giving love. As such, Love itself becomes the greatest weapon for tearing down hatred and division and building up the kingdom of God.
So what do we do to reverse the pandemic of ignorance and indifference towards the Eucharist? How do we tell our families and friends who have forgotten or never even heard of Jesus, who is the answer to the question of every single one of their human hearts, of every question that nags them, that Jesus Christ, that this Jesus Christ is present in every altar, in every Catholic church, all around the world. The great saint, Padre Pio of Peratuchina, said, every holy mass heard with devotion produces in our soul marvelous effects, abundant spiritual and material graces which we ourselves do not know. It's easier for the earth to exist without the sun than without the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Listen to this. It is easier for the earth to exist without the sun than without the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Boom, that puts it right there. The centrality of the Mass to our own happiness, to our own existence. So it first must be the sun that lights our personal world. We must make it our source and summit, as Vatican II called the Eucharistic Liturgy. Conversion of the hearts of others is not something we do. It's God's action. It is always divine initiative. I remember when I was in seminary, Mother Teresa came to visit the seminary. And after her talk, this little saint, uh, but an enormous saint, stood at the door and greeted each one of us individually. To most, she just said, God bless, but she signed our breveries, our prayer books. And for whatever reason, as I came to file through, she stood up, looked me straight in the eyes, and said, don't get in God's way. She didn't say this to anybody else. It cracks me up, but I feel like it's, it's a, 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 something I remember each and every day, to wake up and say, don't get in God's way. You see, as we try to bring people home, as we try to experience and draw them into the wonder of the Eucharist, of the Mass itself, of the life of the Church, of the sacraments, our main job is three things. Is to be joyful, is to be trusting, and to be informed. First, we must be joyful in the midst of struggles because we trust in God. Think of Saint Faustina, where the prayer that she gives us is, Jesu ufam tobie, as she said in her native Polish, Jesus, I trust in you. And then we share that trust by just how we live and move and have our being, we trust in Jesus with others. And also, informed means that we must be capable of sharing our knowledge of Jesus, his church and his sacraments with others. In a certain sense, I think we should begin in our own studies to develop what's called an elevator talk. Like if you're on the elevator and somebody said, what differences does Jesus make in your life? That you can answer that immediately. Maybe get together with other faithful Catholic friends and begin to discuss how it is that you would say just this. So it is that we must be joyful, we must be trusting, and we must be informed. One of my great heroes is Cardinal Francis Xavier Van Thuan. He was a priest in Vietnam. In April of 1975, Pope Paul VI 
made him the coadjutor archbishop with rights of success into the Archbishop of Saigon. However, the communist regime did not approve of this nomination and forced him to return to Nan Trang. On the Solemnity of the Assumption, August 15, 1975, that same year, he was arrested. Without ever being tried or sentenced, he was taken to North Vietnam where he was imprisoned for more than 13 years, nine of which were spent in solitary confinement. You see, after 13 years he was released and eventually called to Rome to serve John Paul II in the Vatican. When he first arrived, he was a young, gifted bishop who was set to be the archbishop, set to do amazing things in his archdiocese. And he felt so frustrated and so angry that, that he made several resolutions. One thing he said was, I will not wait. I won't wait and spend my time waiting for that door to open. I'm going to live each moment as if this were the moment that only mattered, because it is the only moment that matters. You see, if we spend our life looking into the future, we miss Christ right in front of us. But then in his prayer, in those early days of frustration, he could hear a voice in his heart say, the voice of our Lord say, why torment yourself, Francis Savior? You must discern between God and the works of God. You see, what he had done was confused his, his efforts, his apostolic work, his letters that he was writing, all the things that he did as God. Whereas God was calling him to be present to him in this prison. Prison in that moment now became his cathedral. The people that he was with, each of them became one of the people that he was called to minister to. It became clear that this is where God wanted him to be, because this is where God was. Later, Cardinal Van Thuan wrote of his, of his experience. He said, I was taken to prison empty-handed. Later on, I was allowed to request the strict necessities like clothing, toothpaste, etc. I wrote home saying, send me some wine as medication for stomach pains. On the outside, the faithful understood what, he, what I meant, he said. They sent me a little bottle of mass wine with a label reading, medication for stomach pains, as well as some broken hosts into small pieces. The police asked me, do you have pains in your stomach? Yes, he said, here is some medication for you. I will never be able to express, he wrote, the joy that was mine each day with three drops of wine and one drop of water in the palm of his hand, I celebrated the Mass. He continued, The six Catholics in my group of 50 prisoners tried to stay together. We lined up on boards as we were given, as we were given his beds. They were about 20 inches wide. We slept close together in order to be able to pray during the night. He continues, at 9.30 every evening when lights were out, everyone had to lie down. I bent over my wooden board and celebrated the Mass, by heart, of course, and distributed communion to my neighbors under the mosquitoes' tents. We made tiny bags from cigarette paper to protect the Blessed Sacrament. You see, 
when he writes that story, we realize that the Eucharist can transform a communist prison into a cathedral. The cigarette paper from a, from a cigarette packet can become as beautiful a tabernacle as any basilica would possess. Just think what it can do for you and me when we allow ourselves not just to consume Jesus in the Eucharist, but to be consumed by Jesus in the Mass and in adoration. If we are a living tabernacle, if we allow ourselves to be transformed by the power of our Lord's death and resurrection, his paschal mystery made present in every Mass and in every altar, then it is that we become a beacon, a light, as Jesus said, not set under a bushel basket, but set on the stand. See, a simple off, uh, invitation can be offered to anyone, a non-judgmental, you're welcome to join. You see, I find perhaps adoration a good place to start for those who do not know Jesus or haven't experienced it. Just the silence is so powerful in our noisy culture. There is less of a chance of the guest, to somebody who doesn't know, to be embarrassed by not knowing when to kneel or stand. And just the moments, even if it be a brief, a brief visit, can be transformative. Stories and stories of, are told of those who converted without knowing anything about the Eucharist by just coming to adoration and then move them into the experience of Mass. When I was at the University of Maryland years ago uh, as chaplain, we had upwards of 30 to 40 conversions a year, but, and many were the children of lapsed Catholic, uh, Catholics, but the grandchildren of practicing Catholics. It was the example, the rootedness of their grandparents that drew them in. As we let the Eucharist transform you and me, smile a lot, especially when things are tough. Know your faith. Trust that Jesus is in charge and that all you and I need to do is get out of his way. Gently invite, always love. Jesus Christ is truly present. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. Thank you and God bless. <laughs>